We spoke last week about how praise and worship breaks down walls, right? How our praise and our worship, when it's passionate and it's powerful and it's really, it, it, that it is effective in ways of an actual like battle plan in our lives to do war against the enemy and to become all that God is calling us to be. That is, we are all called to be game changers, or another way that we say that is we all have a purpose, we all have a destiny that God is calling us to, and as we're going to walk that destiny out, there's going, there are going to be attacks the enemy is going to come against us with in different types of ways. He's a schemer, he's a liar, and he's crafty, and he knows your weaknesses, and he's going to try to get you down, he's going to try to knock you down and keep you from really walking into the fullness of what God has for you. And if we're going to battle against him, we're going to have to do battle in different ways, but one of the things we're going to have to do is we're going to have to be a people who praise and worship God consistently in our lives, not just on Sundays, but day in and day out, because we're proclaiming his goodness, his faithfulness, and we're worshiping him the way he he deserves for how good he is. And we talked about the book of Joshua, how when Joshua was leading the Israelites out of the desert into the promised land, leading them into their destiny, that the, the enemy was trying to keep them down, and they were marching into the first city, which was Jericho, and God's plan for them to take Jericho, where they had a fortress built of walls around that city, God's plan, God's battle plan, his strategy for them was that they would march around the city for seven days. They would praise, they would worship, and they would shout how good God was, and then God would break the walls down. And so praise and worship, guys, is what we need to grab onto is we praise and worship God in the good times, in the bad times, no matter what, because he deserves praise and worship when? All the time, right? Because he's good when? All the time. So our praise and our worship is part of our battle. It's part of our warring against the enemy and in in, to keep us away from the things that God has for us in our lives. And so um, my question is, to you is, is what does the expression of worship look like in your life? What does the expression of worship look like in your life? And, and certainly there's going to be different places that we're all in in this. I know, I get that. And some people, whenever, whenever they just start coming to church or they just start, you know, uh, love God and accept Jesus, you know, maybe, maybe they're just coming to church on Sundays. And so they kind of get this thought, this idea that they just worship and pray on Sundays and then the rest of the week they just they go about their business, right? But God's calling us to, be, to worship him in spirit and in truth all the time. And our worship and our praise really is an eruption. It's an overflow. It's a spilling out of our joy and our fulfillment of God and, and just who he is in us in our lives. And if we get a hold of that, we get a hold of who we are in Christ and our identity and our God has a purpose for us in our lives and we see how good he is and that he forgave us and that we're going to be in heaven one day. That there, There's just this thankfulness that builds on top of thankfulness, on top of thankfulness in our lives and it just erupts in the form of praise and worship of just crying out to God for how good he is. And if you're like me, I can't sing a note, I can't sing a lick, right? But that doesn't keep me from shouting and praising God. 
and just declaring how good he is. And I'm telling you right now, there's been many a moments, many a times, many a things I've been going through where that has been the turning point. That has been the shifting point. I've lived this thing out. So when I say this to you, when I preach this to you, it's real to me. I've been in seasons where the enemy was beating on me, beating on me, and I've just walked around my home. I've walked around my yard. I've just been praising and yelling and worshiping God for how good he is. And it's flowing out of a very real, very genuine vein in my life because I know how good God is. And I'm just erupting in praise and God breaks down walls. He puts, he calms that storm, you know, just praising him and worshiping him. What does the expression of praise look like in your own life? And we're going to open up uh, with a, the book of Ezra this morning in Ezra chapter 3. So go ahead and get your Bibles out if you have them with you. But we're going to have kind of like a short message here. And then I want to do something a little different than what we normally do. But I want to ask you to bear with me because I think it will be really, really awesome. I'm going to have JJ and Glory come up here after I go through a short message. Who's thankful for a short message this morning? Shame on you. Shame on you. There are a lot of other great churches in this community. No, I'm just kidding. All right, never mind. We're keeping you 15 minutes after. No, I'm just kidding now. All right, so I'm going to go through a message, and then we're going to bring JJ and Glory up here, and I'm going to ask them some questions that are going to, what I believe, are going to kind of draw out some things that are in them about a worship, a, a life of a person who's a worshiper, about praise and worship, and even specifically like corporate praise and worship, because as we're here together gathering as a body on Sundays, and when we come together in worship nights and things like that, that there's this idea of corporate worship, but there's also personal worship, which I was just talking about a moment ago in our own own lives, but I believe that a, a strong corporate worship of coming together and really just exploding into the things of God, it that spills over and flows into our own personal lives each and every day. And you, you have to have both of those, right? We have to have both of those uh, as, as children of God. So open your Bibles to Ezra chapter 3, and we're going to read about 10 verses here. Uh, and this is an awesome story, and I'll kind of open up with some background after we read the verses. But beginning in verse 3, it says, this is when they returned to Jerusalem. And when the seventh month had come, the children of Israel were in the cities. The people gathered together as one man in Jerusalem. And then Yeshua, the son of Yosadak, and his brethren, the priests, and Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and his brother, arose and built the altar of God of Israel to offer burnt offerings on it as it is written in the law of Moses the man of God. Though fear had come upon them because of the people of those countries, they set the altar on its bases and they offered burnt offerings on it to the Lord, both the morning and evening burnt offerings. They also kept the feast of tabernacles as it is written and offered the daily burnt offerings in the number required by ordinance for each day. Afterwards, they offered the regular burnt offering and those for new moons and for all the appointed feasts of the Lord that were cons consecrated and those of everyone who willingly offered a freewill offering to the Lord. From the first day of the seventh month, they began to offer burnt offerings to the Lord, although the foundation of the temple of the Lord had not been laid. They also gave money to the masons and the carpenters and food, drink, and oil to the people of Sidon and Tyre to bring cedar logs from Lebanon to the sea. To Joppa, according to the permission which they had received from Cyrus, king of Persia. 
restoration of the temple now begins. So in the second month of the second year of their coming to the house of God at Jerusalem, Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Yeshua, the son of Yosadak, and the rest of their brethren, the priests and the Levites, and all those who had come out of the captivity of, to Jerusalem, began work and appointed the Levites from 20 years old and above to oversee the work of the house of the Lord. Then Yeshua, with his sons and brothers, Cadmiel, with his sons and the sons of Judah, arose as one to oversee those workings of the house of God, the sons of Hinadad with their sons and their brethren with the Levites. When the builders laid the foundation of the temple of the Lord, the priests stood in their apparel with trumpets, and the Levites, the sons of Asaph, with cymbals to praise the Lord according to the ordinance of David, king of Israel. And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. Then all the people shouted with a great joy when they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord was laid. So what's happening here is they, Israel has been in captivity for 70 years. They were taken over, they were conquered, and they were brought into Babylon, and they went through the Babylonian captivity for 70 years outside of their own home city, outside of their own promised land. Their city was in destruction. It was desolate. And, and, and now they are going back into Jerusalem. They are there in the beginning stages to rebuild basically their entire civilization. God is now bringing them back after the 70 years of captivity. And so here they are. Imagine this. The whole city that is the city of your heritage, the city and the place of the promised land that your forefathers and generations and generations before marched into when God was taking them out of the Egypt, out of the desert, and into the promised land. It's been desolate. They've been in captivity for 70 years, and now they're coming back. And this is what I want you to think about. What are their priorities when they get here? What are their values? What are the things as they're rebuilding their civilization that are important to them? Because here's what you have to understand, that part of the reason why they were conquered and they went into captivity is because their true and genuine worship began to die. They started to stop, they stopped worshiping God through a series of kings over hundreds of years and they began to worship other false gods and idols. And so the kind of worship that God had really called them to, that he had asked of them in order for him to lead them in, in their lives, they had abandoned, their, their true worship had died, and they were worshiping idols, they were caught up in all kinds of sinfulness, and so the destruction of the city came, and they've been taken away into captivity for 70 years, and now they're back. So imagine this, they haven't really worshiped God, they haven't really truly been able to praise him, and give him credit and honor for, for, for years and years and years this thing has been dead. And so they get back here. The city is desolate. The city's broken down. And as we just read in these verses, one of the very first things that they begin to do, guys, is they begin to restore worship in their civilization. They rebuild the altars so that they can make their sacrifices, which was part of the way that they worshiped in the Old Testament. They were giving offerings to God, and they were worshiping, and they were praising him corporately for who he was. Do you remember what it said in the beginning? It says they came together as one man. Very important. 
that part of the way our expression of worship is to look is that we are to come together corporately like this as a body, the body of Christ, so that our praises and our worship can be joined together with other children of God and we can elevate the voice of God to the place that he deserves corporately as a group of people. That's part of the way God's created us to live. And so they're coming back. And just think about this. They could be doing all kinds of things. Oh, we need to get businesses up and running again. We need to get all of these things. We need to do all this stuff. But what is it that they're really looking at? They're valuing restoring worship in their civilization. And I believe it's because they understand in a big way this is part of the reason why all of the things that God had done in their civilization years and years ago had begun to die off and they, and they were led off into captivity is because they recognize we you know somewhere along the line we we abandoned this thing of worship we got away from this thing of really worshiping and praising God the way that he's supposed to be in the way that he deserves and if we're going to rebuild our Jerusalem, if we're going to rebuild this civilization, if we're going to become the people that God's called us to be, that he's chosen us to be, then we're going to have to start out. We're going to have to get right back to this place of worship and praising God because nothing else, if we're missing that, all those other things don't matter anyway. But if we can begin to build this new foundation upon worship and praising God, they don't even have a temple to worship in. They don't even have a building to go to, right? But they're going in and they're building an altar so that they can come together corporately. I imagine it's just in the city or in the streets and, and, and out on the hill. And they could come together and worship and praise God. Because they recognize that this really is the true foundation of a godly civilization. is a civilization that values and, and recognizes and prioritizes what worship and praise of our God looks like in their lives. And that's what they've done. They began to rebuild these altars so that they can make these sacrifices. They had lost their corporate worship before entering captivity. So, you know, Daniel and Jeremiah, they had prophesied and warned the people of Israel about this for a number of years. That if they didn't get back to real worship, if they didn't get back to praising God and really you know, celebrating him in their daily lives, that this destruction was going to come and they didn't listen to him. And then uh, after all that time, then the, they began to come back and restore worship in their civilization. And the real foundation was being laid. But here's what happens, guys. When we come together and we praise God and we worship him for who he is, we get in his presence. And the power of God is, is, in, is among us. His presence is, is we, we become undone. Because here's what happens. It's impossible it's impossible to stand in before the presence of a holy and perfect God as an imperfect person and not recognize our desperate need for him and who he is in our lives. We have to become undone. We have to be a people who regularly come face to face with the fact that we are imperfect and that we need a holy, perfect God in our lives. And as we worship him in spirit and in truth, the way the Bible is calling us to, and, and we get in his presence, I don't know about you, but just like this morning, I can't help but sit here and just be in awe and amazed at how awesome and how big and how great God is. And it reminds me of how 
I am in such desperate need of him, not every now and then, not just on Sundays, but every single day and really every single moment of my life. And worship and our affection aimed at God helps us to be mindful of that in our daily lives because we realize that God, he, he is the source of everything that we need. And nothing that we need can originate or have its source in us as ourselves. That he really is who we have to seek and who we have to draw from at all times to really become who it is that God is calling us to be. We've got to be worshipers. We've got to be people who praise God in our daily lives all the time. And so in verse 11, I love this, where it says, And they sang responsively, praising and giving thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his mercy endures forever toward Israel. And then all the people shouted with a great shout, and they praised the Lord, because the foundation of the house of the Lord had been laid. There it is again, that shout, that eruption, that coming forth in praise, right? And just when we get a taste of how good God is and we experience him on a consistent basis, it's like there becomes an appetite, a hunger, a desire for more and more and more of that. We kind of get wrecked in a way where we just can't go days upon end without worshiping and praising God and just being in his midst and in his presence. And as we do, it's in that presence, like the Bible says, there's fullness of joy. And all the things that God is wanting to do in us, he's beginning to empower in us as we're just walking, fellowshipping, hand in hand with him each and every day. Close relationship, but a relationship that's aimed and directed towards praise and worship and how good he is. And, and just think about this. Imagine if a tornado or an earthquake or something like that just came through and just leveled our city, wrecked the whole area. And then, and then, you know, now we're starting to kind of come up in the aftermath of this. What would, real, what would we be doing? I'm sure we would be busy trying to help people who are hurting. Obviously, we, we do that. But I'm just I'm posing this as a question. Like, would we be coming together and saying we need to praise and we need to worship God? We need to stop in the midst of this storm and we need to make sure that we don't deny him the worship that he deserves because if we go weeks and months and possibly years at doing all this busy work and we don't place a value and a priority on what worship is in our lives and corporately, then we're going to be missing what it is that we truly need, which is something more than just material things in our lives, right? I just thought about that as they were coming back. This city's leveled. It's desolate. I mean, they've got so much work to do. And what are they really putting a priority on? They're putting a priority on rebuilding the worship in their civilization. Because they understand. There are people who came face to face with when real worship begins to die and begins to lack in their city and in their community. What ends up happening as a result of that? So they have a vantage point that we need to understand, we need to grasp. They have a vantage point of where it had died in a city, it had died in a civilization, it had been gone and, and non-existent for years, and they had went through hell, and now here they are back to their Jerusalem, back to their city, and they get to rebuild, they get to rise up and be the people they're called to be again, and what are they looking at doing? They're looking at restoring worship as a central part of their civilization, and everything else can revolve around that. Amen? I'm not making any sense today, am I? You guys are just looking at me like, what is he talking about? All right, JJ Glory, come on up here. So I want to ask you guys a couple questions. You can grab this microphone and share it. 
And uh, Jimmy, are we on over here with them? And so you guys really understand corporate worship, I know. And, uh, and so I want to kind of draw on you a little bit. And whoever wants to answer, feel free to answer. But So obviously, when we come together corporately to worship, it's a worship leader's job to lead us into this place of experiencing God. You, you guys lead us there, right? You kind of take us there, and then we all follow you, and we all get to this place where God's spirit is just moving in here. So what does it look like for you as worship leaders as far as like preparation or the way that you come in, into that place? I, I know you don't just walk up here and just, okay, we're just going to start playing music. Tell us a little bit about like what it means to you, what it looks like for you to prepare to lead us into a place like that. Watch out for that stool there. Yeah. <laughs> um, I got, I'll go first because I'm the man of the relationship and I wear the pants. That's right. No. <laughs> I'm kidding. She is. I'm wearing the shorts today. So. <laughs> um, I guess, you know, for us as worship leaders, it's really important um, just kind of how, you know, we see in the story of the Israel, Israelites when they're over at Jericho, you know, God called them. Each day for six days, you know, walk around once, and then the seventh day is when they all do it seven times that day, and then all shout together and everything. You know, that's kind of how it is in our lives. Like, as worship leaders, it's important for us to make sure that we are feeding ourselves, that we are spending time with God every day uh, so that on Sunday mornings when we all come together, you know, we can hear and feel what the Holy Spirit is wanting to do that morning. You know, who is he wanting to speak to? Who is in here that is going through something that God wants to specifically talk to that one person and, and, and you know, bring them all, go through all the trouble to bring that person here just so that he can talk to that one person and say, hey, you know, I love you. I'm here for you. Uh, you know, I, I'm, I, we're gonna, I'm gonna break those things off you. You know, you are not alone. You know, so because of that reason, it's so important for us as worship leaders to be spending time with God so that we can hear His voice and we can help um, lead in uh, and and speak those things that that God is speaking right now. Because God is always speaking every day. You know, it, it's it's uh, it's an organic thing. It's not like. You know, okay, we're going to do these three songs and that's it. It's more of, okay, God, what is it that you want to speak to the, to the congregation, to the people of Waterloo? What is it that you want to do on Sunday morning? You know, we don't want to put on a concert or, uh, you know, a set, set list, whatever, you know, an organization. This is more than that. It's, uh, you know, we step back, we listen, and we do our best to, to, to do what we feel God is doing. Awesome. No, that was awesome. Oh. Awesome. <laughs> so... Yeah, great job. Um, so next question is, how important would you say that it is, like in our personal lives, when we're, we're going through big moments and big seasons, it can be challenging things or it can be like things that God is, you know, opening doors and taking us into. How important is it in those moments for our personal worship to increase and intensify? I think it's huge because... Our primary purpose, like the purpose that we were originally created for when God first created man was to worship. It is, it is what's most, it should be what's most natural to us. And unfortunately, when hard circumstances come around, for some reason, worship is the last thing that's most natural to us. So we have to be super intentional about, about saying, Jesus, I surrender to you. I surrender to you, I surrender to you, I surrender to you, and 
do it until it becomes a natural thing to, to your soul because when you, when you begin to worship in those seasons of difficulty or, I mean, even in the, the seasons where you should be praising God because something really awesome happened, that needs to become something that's super, super big in our lives because when it does, it, it just keeps flowing. The, good, the goodness keeps flowing. The goodness of God just um, become, becomes channeled into our lives. Yeah, awesome. Very good. So the Bible talks about in Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15, it says, Let us continually offer sacrifices of praise to God that is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. What does it mean to offer a sacrifice of praise? Like, why does the Bible refer to it as a sacrifice? Um, I believe, you know, um, that the reason why it's a sacrifice is because it can be uncomfortable a lot of times. When you, for some people, you know, the people who are introverted, when you're in, in worship, especially in corporate worship, it's unnatural to raise your hands in front of everybody, you know? You're worried about, oh no, who's looking at me? You know, is someone gonna think, is my armpits, are they sweaty? How do they smell? You know, uh, it's doing okay, that's all right. Uh, you know, and, and, and that's why it's a sacrifice because you're not worried about the people around you. What you're worried about is God, I just, I just want to worship you, you know, and, and oftentimes like, you know, I look at David, David, that dude is, he was a worshiper when he was going through bad stuff and good stuff. He worshiped. It didn't matter if he was depressed, if he was crying, if people were trying to kill him, he went straight to worship and he wrote about it. He wrote songs, you know, and similar to that, you know, I have a kind of a similar story where you know, I wasn't perfect like David either. You know, I made some stupid mistakes in my life. And even through that, you know, even though I looked like a hypocrite, you know, I felt like a hypocrite. Wow. I felt like I didn't deserve to be in God's presence. I didn't even deserve to be on stage, you know, worshiping Jesus or even in the church at all. I felt dirty. I felt nasty. I felt like I didn't belong. Like, God, I'm not worthy. Even through that, I decided and I told myself, you know what? It don't matter how I look. It don't matter how I look. I'm going to worship God with everything I am because right now, you know, right now I'm pitiful. Right now I'm dirty. But you know what, God? I don't care because I want to worship you. I want to give it to you because I know I'm, I'm, I'm here just because of you. I'm not going to stop. And just because of that, you know, just because of that, and I didn't stop going to church. I didn't stop worshiping God. I am where I am today because of that. Awesome. You know, if I wasn't, who knows what I would have been. I would have probably not following Jesus if I would have stopped worshiping God and, and stopped going to church, you know, just because I would let, if I would have let Satan make me feel like I was unworthy to be in the presence of God. You are never unworthy. Amen. That's powerful. Oh, I was just going to say just really quick um, to that is that when you continue to approach the throne room of God and when you continue to just worship him, worship him even when it doesn't feel natural when it when it feels like oh this is like this is weird like I'm I'm I did something stupid and now it just feels so weird to come surrender myself because that's how it is for me sometimes it just feels weird um when you just continue to do that the Holy Spirit cleanses you as you do that and it, and then that's you know that thing I was talking about it becoming more natural it's going to become more natural you're just going to crave coming to the Lord and being like God I need you God I need you because in that there's there's cleansing and it's a really beautiful thing
That's awesome. You know, to that point about like feeling like being concerned with what people think or whatever. I mean, I know I've certainly been there and I would imagine most people have or are. And uh, there's a great story in in 2 Samuel chapter 6 where David, King David, when the ark of the when the ark of God had returned to Jerusalem, he ran through the streets in a linen cloth. So he was basically like half naked, jumping and leaping and praising God. Now I'm not real sure what that half naked thing's all about, but but David did it, and it was funny because he took ridicule. This is my paraphrasing, right? But the hot girl made fun of him. So the, the daughter of Saul, the hot girl, right, she was laughing and making fun of David, and then she even took it a step further, and she said, hey, all the other hot girls over there, they're making fun of you too. Like, they think you look like an idiot. Now, that's kind of a big deal, right? All the hot girls are laughing at the dude, and he's, trying, and he's worshiping God. And you know what he says? Man, it's amazing. He says, you know what? I'm praising and I'm worshiping God, and he deserves it. I don't care what any of the hot girls think, and I'll get even more undignified than this when the, house, when, when the, when the ark of God is here in Jerusalem. And so what he's saying is he's like, you know what? There's things that, that I think about where it's like I need to be aware of what's going on, but there, when I'm worshiping God and I'm abandoned to God for who he is, I'm worshiping with my whole heart, and it doesn't matter to me what anybody else around me thinks. You know, and, and so that's a powerful thing because the, I think that the enemy tries to really weigh us down and really restrain us and constrain us in our worship. Would you guys say that that's true, that the enemy wants to really keep us at bay in our time of worship here corporately when we come together? <laughs> you can have your turn later. <laughs> Sorry. Yes, definitely. You know, that, th- to me, it brings me back to, um, let me grab my notes here. Yes, I got notes. I came prepared. It's just one page, one paragraph. No worries. Anyway, uh, it's Luke, in Luke 1937, right? So uh, this is all, to me, this spoke hugely. So speaking about that, you know, it says, um, so blah, blah, blah. And then it says, the whole crowd, sorry about that part. The whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. And then we jump to 39 and 40, and then it comes in with, then some Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, teacher, rebuke your disciples. And then Jesus replied, I tell you, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. To me, that was huge, because that's saying, look, even, even Pharisees, you know, um, you, you could call them, we could call them, you know, whoever is not following God or someone who's religious, it doesn't matter. You know, they're not going to want to hear your shout and praise. You know, they're letting, you know, I guess they're uh, Satan, you know, wanting to keep you quiet. You know, the world doesn't want to hear your praise. They don't. And God's reply wasn't, okay, I'll have them quiet down a little bit or, oh, they are too loud. You know, my neighbors are complaining. He said, look, if they shut up, you know, I, something is going to worship me and you are going to hear it. Mm-hmm. You know, an inanimate object is going to worship me if they all shut up, if the whole world shuts up. So let me tell you, you know, God doesn't want you to, to withhold he wants you to give it all. You know, the, 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 the disciples, they gave it all so much that it annoyed the Pharisees. Wow. They're like, God, just sh- shut up. You guys are annoying, man. And they wouldn't because they, they surrendered everything wow. and just gave it their all. Awesome. Awesome job, guys. Thank you very much. Awesome. You guys can grab your seat.
So I would just say as we close, you know, just to encourage all of us that it doesn't really matter where we're at right now because if we were to try to look at where each, we're all maybe in different places with how far we've went or how deep we've pushed ourselves to like get into this place of praise and worship with God. What's really important is that we're, we're recognizing the significance of praising and worshiping God in our lives and that we're really pushing ourselves to go deeper into a deeper place with him. And that we're seeking after that and that we're pursuing him with our whole heart, right? We're, we're worship me in spirit and in truth. That there's this genuine, authentic thing that's burning inside of us that recognizes, you know what? I serve a God who's so big, I could never, ever get all the praises out of my, out off my lips that he really deserves. That, that I'm just going to become a worshiper. I'm going to live in a way where I'm going to praise and worship God every day, no matter what's going on. And if we'll live like that, I promise you, no matter what you're going through, when depression comes and you pray, praise and worship God, joy will break that depression down. When you pray and praise and worship God, when anger is tempting you and, and all those kind of things, peace will just flood in. There's just something about praising and worshiping God that when we get in the midst of him, everything else has to bow its knee. Everything else has to bow its knee to Jesus, the God of all creation. And there's nothing that the enemy can bring against us in our lives that can withstand a genuine heart of praise of a believer who's crying out, who's worshiping and praising God for how good he is. It just melts everything down to where it is totally ineffective for the enemy to bring those things against us in our lives. You can't fight in your own strength. Right? You just can't. Hopefully we've figured that out by now. We've got to have God empowering us and strengthening us to do everything that he's calling us to do. Stand to your feet with me today. And listen, part of the reason why I wanted to take time today to go through this, to really have JJ and Glory share with us, and, and to try to just stir you up, quite frankly, to stir you up and to get you to ask yourself in your own way, what is, my, what is the expression of praise and worship really look like in my life right now? Is it on fire? Is it, is, it, is it white hot? Is it burning? Is my desire for God just increasing every single day? What does it look like? And to get a picture of what God shows us in his word time and time again, how worship is really at the center of every society, of every civilization, the way God would have it to be. And as, as we do that in our own lives, God is just going to continue to show up big each and every day for us. And so this Friday night, we have worship night. And I just want to encourage you to come. You know, maybe you've never even been to a worship night before. Maybe you're like, dude, I'll come, but I'm telling you, I'm not raising my hands. Okay, that's fine. I'm okay with that. It's totally cool. Just come. By the way, I never thought I would either. I will say this. Well, never mind. Um, I just encourage you to come. Be with us. It's going to be a great time. Let's pray today. Father, in Jesus' name, I ask you right now that you would just, just come and touch each and every person here right now. Holy Spirit, come. That's it. That's it. That's it. Holy Spirit, come right now in this place. I feel the peace of God right now just coming in here. It's like a blanket falling over this whole house right now. Peace of God. Just begin to come in here and rest over each and every person this morning. Anxiety, depression, stress, you've got to go now in Jesus' name. Allow the peace of God to just wash over you and just flood into your life.
Thank you, Father, for everything you're doing in this place today. I ask you to just continue to stir us up, Lord, as we stir up one another into the things of God, into the things that you're calling us to. We want to be who you've created us to be, God, and we want to give you the affections and the worship and the praise that you deserve. Lord, be with us each and every day. In Jesus' name.